Hello and welcome to Tech Live. Stephanie Christopher here, Chief Executive of the Executive Connection. Tech Connect CEOs, executives and business owners to the world's largest business leader network. We're committed to delivering actionable insights, accelerating business performance and optimising decision making. Today I'm talking to Stephen Rutter. Stephen has a really interesting background. In fact, at 32, he tells me he had to manage himself out of a great job. He'd built a business unit to $33 million in annual turnover that managed the logistics of all the Hollywood productions that were shot in Australia. And he says that travelling to LA every two months took its toll. So what did he do? He really needed an MBA to transition into a, a proper job after the entertainment industry. And he found himself disappointed with the relevancy of his tertiary education. He knew that that system could really be improved. And that's part of the journey he is on now, to bring curiosity back into the learning experience. I love that. His most recent corporate experience was as founding head of experience at Sydney School of Entrepreneurship, a $25 million initiative of the New South Wales government to seed next generation entrepreneurship. And now... Stephen has spent the last year building his own education consultancy, the Scale Institute, where he and his peers are designing innovative learning strategies and product development opportunities with a varied group of clients across Australia, including universities, large corporates, and quite a specialist actually in the SME market. So Stephen, welcome. And Thank you. Uh, who's the most interesting celebrity you met? A lot. However, I'd like to say that my most favourite client was actually Shane Warne. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, I say that uh, not for his uh, off-field endeavours, but no. <laughs> um, first guy that would come up and thank me for a good job that right. I did for him. Second, he remembered my name, yeah, which right. took a personal tone to it. And third would also open his wallet at the bar and buy your drink. <laughs> I bet he did. And a lot a lot of celebrities have not done that. Because so. they've got their people around them. And and, and also the air of arrogance that yeah. you know, they are different to yeah. everyone else. Yeah. Interesting. I could talk for this whole conversation about your Hollywood experience. Now I'd love to get into the whole conversation about innovation. Mm. It's a word that is just, you know, post-disruption now, it's innovation. So let me put this to you, that everyone feels they should be doing it, probably guilty if they're not. It's a bit of a mystery. How do you start with a business leader who knows they need to or wants to innovate but doesn't know where to begin? I actually ask them to self-reflect on their past and present initiatives that they're conducting because... They're actually already doing it. Okay, tell me more about that. They just don't know it. So I I use analogy of putting a mirror up Mm -hmm. in front of them to be able to take the time and effort away from their business to work out where the future holds for their sustainability. So the idea is if they can actually um, identify what they're good at, Mm -hmm. then they just need to focus on the good stuff and keep going and creating more value. So is innovation doing the same thing in new ways and better, or is it doing something different? It's both. However, it's it's a former that I really put my hat in the ring and say it's it's a new way of doing existing things yes. that create more value. 
Right, okay. So where do you start? So I, th- I think first of all with innovation, you do an audit. Uh-huh. So I call it an innovation health check. Right. So I'm doing that with, with a, a couple of uh, existing clients right now and, and we do that in primary research, whether it be interviews or surveys, mm-hmm. to, to really identify where on the spectrum they are yeah. in innovation. And that allows um, us and, and also them because it's all about a co-design process. So when I'm conducting a consultancy for, for a new learning strategy, I bring the CEO or the sponsor on board, get them involved every week in a stand-up, which is a funky word for a meeting. And uh, we, You've tried to involve me in stand-up, Stephen, and your problem is I sit down. Yeah, yeah. and, you know, but, but that's okay because um, we want rule breakers. Yeah. So if, mm. I, if I want someone to stand up and uh, they're more comfortable and, and they will give me more value sitting down, go for it. You're right. That's good to know. So, so back to what you were saying about yep. – so you do, you'd start with the health check and that that's makes right. sense. You've that's always right. got to sort of understand where you are. Yeah. So you start with the health check and then you map that to the existing environment ecosystem yep. that they're within. The whole process around that is is to really bring back the business strategy 101. So mm. I think if if I can just step back and talk about what is innovation, it's actually demystifying that innovation is already in our DNA. We just need to get back to the um, fundamentals of focusing on the user and really looking at what the real problems we're solving are. Mm. And I think if you allow yourself those two lenses, Mm. then everything else gets simplified Mm. because we don't talk about disruption. We don't talk about the the wave of blockchain or artificial intelligence or things like that because that's really just the means to get your new product or service into the market. Yeah, so, everything doesn't have to be virtual. Totally. Mm. And because in, in the whole innovation process, when we start to test our assumptions, we do that in a manual form. So we call that a paper prototype. Yeah, tell me about that. I've seen that. So the idea is that um, once we've done our research, we've done the innovation health check, we've spoken to the stakeholders, we've started to really understand their, in in no better term, pains and gains that they're going through, then you can actually test those assumptions Mm. that you come out of that uh, market research phase in and the easiest way to do that and the cheapest way to do that mm. is in the rudest form possible, which is called a minimum viable product. Yep. So, and what does that mean? So this could be a web page. It could be a fancy poll on your LinkedIn or your Twitter account right. to go, would you engage with this type of product offering? Right. Yes or no? And if you get a 1,000 responses in 15 minutes saying no, well, chances are you probably shouldn't spend another dollar on it. And I love that idea because it's quite the opposite of perhaps what people might commonly think. You have to build a fantastic product. You've got to have a really cool new product and that's innovation. So you're saying 
you're actually saying you start with the customer. That's exactly right. Mm. So so the idea is that you don't go too far down the rabbit hole mm. to realise that I've just probably sunk in $150,000 into this new opportunity and you know what? No one wants it. Mm. But they spend another $250,000 because the ego gets in the way. You've seen that happen? Yeah. So they can't actually make the, I guess, constructive decision to back out mm. because they will lose face. Yeah. And and it's their baby. And it's it's that failure mentality that we that sucks in the Australian culture. Yeah. We don't embrace it. So what you're saying then is is flipping it and building a minimal viable product and testing it. Yes. And and then we could do five of them at once. Right. Because we've just saved the initial product development um, mm. fee for, for later on in the innovation mm. process. Mm. And we test five. And jury states that four out of five will fail. Right. But hopefully we get that golden nugget. You find the good one. Yeah, exactly mm. right. And so there must be a testing phase, I guess, as you're going through this. And then at some point you say well, we're going to invest in this one. We think this one has legs. Yeah, that's exactly right. So so then we actually adopt the traditional business planning process. Mm. I think the 50-page business plan is uh, well out the window. Yes. But they talk about this uh, one-page business model canvas mm-hmm. or other iterations or a lean canvas mm. or a social impact canvas. Mm. really depends on what you're potentially building out. But it allows that lean methodology to still be in the business strategy process Mm. to identify how quickly you can either move on a particular product or service or testing Mm. um, phase at that time. Okay. So I'm the CEO of a small business. I've got a lot of stuff happening every day and I've got people coming in and leaving or seek or something wrong with my distribution channel, where do I find time to innovate? How do I do this? They don't because they don't actually prioritise or value Mm. learning. Right. So Tell me about that. How I've come to that conclusion is that, as you rightly pointed out, Steph, BAU business as usual gets in the way. Mm. They've got too much stuff going on to even – talk about taking either their own self, their employees, or even their customers on Mm. a learning journey. Mm. So they actually just discount it and they believe that the way we've been doing things around here for the last five, ten years is what we can actually do going forward. Mm. But what has happened, the market has changed. Mm. The mobile phone that we all have has allowed the market size to go from a significant demographic or Mm. or geographic context to a market size of one. Mm. So the customer's got the power to choose what they buy into and what they don't. Mm. So I think firstly, obviously, um, to reframe what innovation is, and innovation should be a learning pathway for your business to accelerate their growth. Mm. 
So if you can actually bring learning into the organisation as a core pillar mm. of their strategic intent, mm. then you've actually started the growth mindset mm. because that is what learning is. So, and I think you're right about priorities, isn't it? Because you could even have the intention mm. of we've got a great ambitions for this business you know, it's it's rare to find a business owner or a business leader who says enough, we'll stop now. That's right. So we've got great ambitions, but it just keeps coming. That's Regulatory right. changes or technology changes or people changes or all, you know, all the things that – cash, yeah. time. So how can a business owner engage their team in mm. innovation? Mm. Where, so- where have you seen that work well? So based on my last seven years in uh, educational institutions and helping out corporate uh, corporates innovate, I call it agile innovation, adopting a startup approach. Right. So the idea that's uh, catchy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's doing well it's got so all the far. Wor- it's got all the words in it's it. It's got all agile, the buzzwords. Innovation startup, beautiful. And, and and what I actually do, I get them in straight away, and I tell them to demystify the innovation process and yeah. and chuck all the buzzwords out the window. Yeah, because because we we label them all so often, but the idea around that is that there is a um, there is a need for companies to provide a safe and open and relaxing space Mm. for people to innovate. Mm. So all that is required is time, Mm. okay? And if you look at the big global tech startups Mm. that are now the top five learning organisations in the world, they have 15 to 25% of their time provided to their employees Mm. to go and learn. That's not go and do your administration, go do your yeah. you know your tax receipts and things like that. It's actually go go and do something, but take the Lassian point, mm. do something totally different to your current job role. Because mm. we don't want to see you do more of the same. Mm. We want you to bring outside experience mm. into your day job. And that's, again, creating value from something new. Mm. So it's it's really down to the time and space. Back to what you were saying about the agile and startup methodology approach. So how do you apply that? How Well, how could, you know, not jumping into your methodology chapter and verse, but how could a business leader adopt that then with their people. Hmm. So they 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 would take them through a cycle of mm-hmm. of workshops mm. and I'll give you a buzzword. They call them sprints. Yes. Okay. So they take them through sprints that, that really start with focusing on the problem. Yep. So and obviously with a problem there's always someone that owns that problem. Yes. And that's traditionally either a user or a customer. But you could also put the lens of an employee or the boss in that because we want to solve that. So we really want to understand how they are feeling Mm. and what they're going through Mm. and what, you know, it's a cliche, but what keeps them awake at night? Mm. Because once we identify their frustrations, Mm. 
then opportunities arise. Mm. So then we can then uh, really start to build out a solution. And when we talk about the solution, we we can talk about a process improvement, Mm -hmm. a policy change, Mm -hmm. a new product or service, or just a new way of doing things in the office. You know, let's chuck a soft toy around to each other in our meetings and whoever has a soft toy has a floor. No one else talks when they're talking. Mm. It's a a simple technique, but it actually builds a lot of trust Mm. and respect in teams because it's not the person with the highest paycheck or the person at the front of the boardroom table that is the most um, relevant to answer that decision. So you're talking about culture and you're talking about good leadership. Totally. I mean, you've used the word trust, which is at the heart of both of those things, and about the leader passing, you know, not being a one-man band. Totally. So we need to actually democratise the leadership process, and that takes a brave, vulnerable an authentic leader mm. to adopt that. To then be able to, I guess, foster an innovative culture. Yeah. So if, so if I can take the realisation that startups turn into companies, mm. so the definition of a startup is a temporary organisation. Right. Because 94% of them mm. statistically will fail. So – they will build into an organisation and then scale up and become a large organisation. So they're struggling with all the bureaucratic processes that I love to hate. Yeah. (laughs) You do, don't you? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But the large organisations have the customers, the resources, the real ability to operate at scale. Mm. So there needs to be that 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 merge and mm. that's where corporate um, venturing comes into play. But mm. it never works because culture just doesn't yeah. fit. And, you know, there's been some great examples but a lot of poor ones. And I think the idea is these scale-ups mm. have really organised in high-performing teams. Yes. So project teams. Yes. Not in organisational um, functions. Yes. Such as HR, legal, finance mm. that we're all accustomed to, but what the projects are at, at that time and space to get the job done. Mm. And you'll you'll hear that a lot, I believe, in, in the coming years. What's our job to be done? Yeah. That's Christensen, is yeah, that Yeah, right? Clayton Christensen yeah, yeah. Um, has really taken that on board. And, and it's a simplistic way of understanding what is your purpose mm. for your customer. And once you realise that, people, whether they're internal or external to the organisation, will buy into your process. So that idea of jobs to be done is takes away from starting with the function. That's right. Well, I'm a marketing manager, therefore this is my job. That's right. Well, you'd start with the customer, wouldn't you? Well, uh, yeah, and and the customer in a in a very loose term because yeah. it, we we need to identify what the job is. But if the job is to um, c- create a new um, business unit within yes. within the um, existing organisation, then you'd get a cross discipline team across the organisation, mm. and hopefully, if if you're comfortable enough, some external support yes and and form a team because 
that will actually start to build out the critical conversations that you need, the radical candor, and pivoting on what you think the solution is. Yes. Come up with, and another buzzword, product market fit. Right. So Tell me about that. How does your idea meet the needs of the market you're trying to penetrate Mm. into. So Mm. that is really the goal of every startup. Mm. If they can find a product market fit, Mm. then they get customers. Mm. Customers or users turn into dollars. Mm. Dollars turns into the ability to hire people and grow an organisation as opposed to stay in that co-working space and... (laughs) Pivot. With a dream. Yeah, pivot on your idea endlessly. So radical candor is actually opening up your mindset to get real and honest feedback about your idea. Yes. Your solution. So a lot of people don't want to give up on their idea. Yeah. And it takes a a really brave, charismatic person to allow others to collaborate on their Mm. design process. So I think we need to actually teach this much more in school, whether it's critical thinking or inferential thinking, Mm. that um, we just give them parts of the answer and allow them to actually use the brain the Mm. way that it is meant to be used Mm. and come up with their own answer and I was in Wagga on Monday night delivering a program of design down there and a principal is in the cohort yeah and um a school principal a school principal yeah. high school principal for for students with learning difficulties yeah and he actually said that that learning style that you asked us to yeah. do was fantastic because you didn't give us the full structure, Mm. you allowed us to actually come up with how and where that can actually translate into our existing work. So really solving the knowledge to action gap. Beautiful. I mean, that can make people uncomfortable, that kind of learning. Because because we've all been... Spoon-fed. Totally. Through school and university... Sit here, learn this, this is what you need to know, now give it back to me in an assignment. But even even our um, corporate environment, mm. graduates come into a graduate program, mm. they get asked or told in no certain terms how the organisation functions, what the core responsibilities are, here is my job description, here are my KPIs... Mm. Here is my cubicle I sit in Mm. and I can't think outside of that. Mm. So when I'm actually asked to be creative, I don't know how to do it. I don't know where to start. So going back over your career and the the shift you made, you know, before you – what have you learnt now that you wish you could apply when you were setting up that, that significant business unit? That's a great question and uh, I was just talking to Liam, one of my colleagues, yeah. about my career yeah. an hour ago. I don't know why, but but I was saying that I failed high school, mm. didn't get into university, came to Sydney from Port Macquarie when I was 20, 
got work experience at Cathay Pacific Airways and within a week they said, we don't know how we're going to pay you but we'd like you to stay. And until for, for about eight to ten years I was trying to prove why I was where I was in my career mm. because I didn't think that I was capable enough to do that mm. based on my education experience mm. um, and, and until until then. So my strongest, I guess, attribute is my work ethic. Yeah. So I would do considerably more than I had to to for that intrinsic purpose to prove to myself. Mm. And I think it wasn't until that business unit had been $33 million, I had five offices and 25 staff and, and um, you know, sitting down with the presidents of every major film studio in LA, I realised that, no, I'm allowed to be in this seat. Yeah. I've proved myself. Mm. The work ethic remains... Mm. It's just the ability to actually be a bit cheeky mm. and say things to people to instigate mm-hmm. and to be a provocateur. So if I was to say what could, um, what is my sort of role, I'd like to say I'm an innovator in residence. <laughs> so I actually want to be there challenging their assumptions questioning them, providing them the radical candor that their employees definitely can't give them because, again, culture dictates that the person with the largest paycheck is the one to be listened to. Now, when we're talking about our customer feedback or user experience, our customer sales representatives are the people that know our customers more intuitively than the CEO. Mm. So let's take their opinions. So this is what I like about how you talk about innovation. You demystify it for starters. It's not this thing that I should feel guilty about because it's part of how we should all be operating every day. Yeah. And I love the way you bring in culture and leadership into it all. And you are and always will be a provocateur, Stephen. (laughs) I I am proud that I get my fair share of it from you (laughs) whenever we catch up. But what a pleasure to talk to you today. And Stephen Rudder, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Steph. Pleasure to be here. That's Tech Live for today. CEOs are in the business of making decisions and leadership is the art of execution. I'm Stephanie Christopher and look forward to talking to you next time. Bye.